I'm Tim. And I'm Drew. And this is the Hearts and Hands Podcast. In episode three, we talk about the role of secular art in worship and have a conversation with Mike Wessendorf about communicating clearly as a worship leader. Welcome to the third episode of the Hearts and Hands podcast. I'm your host, Drew Sonnenberg, joined as always by my co-host, Tim Babbler. Tim, how you doing? Things are going swimmingly. How about you, Drew? Pretty well, pretty well. We just are wrapping up the holiday season around here. Been listening to a lot of Christmas music, you know, like you do. So I was listening to a new uh, Christmas album from John Mark McMillan, who our listeners may be familiar with some of his songs, Heart Runs, Future Past. Perhaps he was most famous for what's that song? He's <laughs> How he loves. He's perhaps the one, the one that became popular yeah. by David Crowder, but was of course written yeah. by the man, the myth, the legend, John Mark McMillan. Um, um, so he came out with a Christmas album this year called Smile in the Mystery, and it's got some of your typical Christmas songs on it. Um, but he made some interesting choices to include on a Christmas album. Number one uh, was uh, What a Wonderful World, Um, you know, made famous by Louis Armstrong and everything. And that kind of made sense to me when I heard it, you know, thinking about the, you know, the tranquility and Silent Night and all of that. What a Wonderful World kind of fits into that general realm of thought. But... The more interesting me- song that he chose to me was uh, Make You Feel My Love, which is a Bob Dylan song. Uh, Adele has a fairly famous cover of it as well. Hmm. And it got me thinking about the role of, for lack of a better term, secular art um, when it comes to worship. Um, and I'm not trying to say that John Mark's album is a worship album and that everything he puts out has to be, you know, just 100% about Jesus. But when when you're approaching a, a worship service and planning it out and things like that, is there a role for things that are made by non-Christians and that aren't about Jesus um, specifically in any way? What, what do you think, Tim? I think that's a great question. I mean, you have to take into account, as, as someone who myself is responsible for a lot of worship planning and has been uh, in the years past, I always try to make sure that the the content is clear, the message is clear, and there aren't things that are unnecessarily hindrances to the message being proclaimed to those in the seats. But at the same time, if something is written by someone who's a non-Christian but fits well, or it's not maybe not written for a worship service or setting, but if it fits well, whether that's spoken word or poetry or art or music in some form or another, I think there's a good possibility that as long as it's not hindering your message and and it's in fact probably helping it, I would say go for it. Yeah. And I mean, I think this takes a lot of different forms, you know, like here at Illumin, we've used um, poems written by uh, various poets that don't claim to be Christian or the, and the poems themselves don't speak about God or, or Jesus or anything like that. But, you know, you use it to illustrate a certain point about whether it's the theme of your service or, you know, how humanity without Christ looks at 
certain situations. You know, if you're thinking about most poets, they're generally talking about the human condition in one form or another. But if they're not a Christian, then it gives you the, the view of someone who's trying to look at humanity as a whole, but without looking at it through the lens of, of God, of, of Christ. So I think it can serve a, a, a purpose. It can be used as a tool to kind of make a, a certain point. But I mean, it's there, there are other times where I think we don't even think about it when we do it. Like sermon illustrations are a great example. Like sermon illustrations, they don't always use like artwork per se, but how often does a sermon like reference a, a TV commercial or a, a movie or anything that's just in pop culture that will, will connect with people? If you're using it to try to connect to people and try to get the gospel to shine more clearly to that person, then I, I don't see why you wouldn't want to use that thing. And I, as I was thinking about this, I, I thought of kind of a, a strange example that I think illustrates how I view this in general. I was thinking about a guitar, especially like a really nice handmade, maybe even custom-made guitar. That's a to me, is a piece of art, something well-crafted and, and used for artistic purposes as well. But that's the thing is when I buy a guitar, I don't say to myself, was this made by a Christian? Was this made to be used in worship? Like that's nobody thinks that. Nobody that doesn't go through anybody's mind because people don't view the guitar as the piece of art. They view it as a tool to play a song about the message that you're trying to get across. So the guitar, while it is a piece of art, is also a tool in this instance that you can use to more clearly or uh, in a different way that may connect with different people, get that gospel message out there. Yeah, I mean, it's not like a pastor in one of their sermon messages is preaching the gospel of Coca-Cola, but they might use an advertising campaign or slogan that was used by that company in order to portray a message in the same way that that guitar, while a piece of art in and of itself, is really just the best way for some people to get, as, as mentioned, from point A to point B. You're getting the gospel from the mouth of of the song leader, the mouth of the worship leader, the mouth of the pastor to the ears or the mouth, if they're singing along, of those in the congregation. A pastor friend of mine is fond of saying, like, our job as as ministers, whether that's a pastor or a, a, a staff minister or a worship leader, whatever the case may be, it's to spread the gospel. But the gospel is the thing that's powerful. God just happens to choose to use us as ministers as part of the process of, like you said, getting it from point A to point B. But most of our job is just to try to get out of the way as much as possible, to not hinder that message from getting across. You know, you need to be wise and prudent about the, the things you're choosing to use and the tools you're choosing to use to try to get that message across. But I don't think those things are off limits in your pursuit of doing that. Sure. Well, this talk about art and worship and uh, connecting with people is a good segue for us to get into our interview with a good friend of ours, Mike Westendorf. I had the privilege over the Christmas season of listening to his Christmas concert, um, one of his worship concerts that we actually got to hear on Christmas Day, which was a privilege. Let's get to that interview now. Today, we're excited to welcome Mike Westendorf to the podcast. Welcome, Mike. Hey, guys. How are you doing? 
I'm doing great, Drew. Yeah, great all around. Awesome. Mike, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Sure. I, uh, I have an opportunity to uh, lead a number of different uh, things over the last several years. But right now, my full-time work, believe it or not, is as a meteorologist. I work with college students at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee in innovative weather. I have been involved in campus ministry, and I lead a, a uh, conference uh, event for um, young adults and young adult leaders called Awake and Live. We have a conference coming up in January and then uh, a one-day national stream event in June. I've been a touring musician and singer-songwriter, so kind of the artist world, if you will, and I've been doing that since about 2004. And then I've had the privilege of, of uh, leading worship in a number of different places, uh, first in campus ministry at the Point of Grace, and then partnering with a number of different churches over the years, and uh, officially as a worship coordinator for the Bridge and 1045 Contemporary Services at St. Paul's in Muskego, Wisconsin. So, And I'm married. That's the other big job. That's a big one. <laughs> cool. Could you uh, tell us a little bit more about um, Awaken Alive? What's uh, the focus there? Uh, the focus for Awaken Alive, I, I like the, the kind of our, our tagline, if you you will, that rooted in the extravagant love of Jesus, Awaken Alive exists to inspire hope-filled young adults uh, to live and to see life to the full. So it is meant to be a, a conference uh, that really encourages, inspires, creates community for 18 to 25-year-olds and people who are leading 18 to 25-year-old ministries or um, really want to walk well with uh, young adults, uh, young professionals, college students. And so that uh, that two-day conference is gathering in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and uh, it is international now. We've got people coming from Canada uh, this year, and we do have people who come from the warm states as well. Uh, <laughs> you don't have to spend a lot of time outside in Milwaukee in January. You can literally take a shuttle and be outside for about 30 seconds, so... <laughs> <laughs> so come, but the focus there, uh, it's really all about, you know, we want to both in, encourage uh, our, our young adults to know what the gift of grace is uh, through the lens of being a young adult rather than the high school kind of version of ourselves. Sure. Uh, really take ownership of that faith to recognize it increasingly as a person. I think it's one of the, the awesome parts of be, about being in college is nobody tells you what to do, and it's one of the troubles of colleges that you've got nobody to tell you what to do <laughs> but to take ownership of your faith what does that look like and then to really step into more fully this joy of making known the gospel uh that idea that god breathes in that's inspire uh so that you and i could also breathe out his grace to other people and when we do that we we step in line with where where god is going and so we want to encourage the people who are are hurting uh, confused, a little lost, but we also want to empower the people who are, are already letting their lights shine and, and let it shine brighter by, by finding Christian community. And we also believe in the incorporation of the generations. And, uh, you know, none of us got here without older people helping lead the way. And uh, we believe in equipping uh, future leaders and, and older adults to understand what's happening and how to maybe better walk with this generation so we have a leadership track in the conference for uh, older adults in a, in a separate community group and community time for them, uh, but then they participate in all the major main sessions and the devotion. So it really is 
we're hoping to have all of the intergenerational pieces. And the last part I'll say about that is that, that in June, our intent is to, um, and we did this last year, we live stream an event the second Sunday of the month of June. And the dream there is that Awaken Alive groups or whatever you in the end want to call it uh, would, would start up in churches and in families across the country by equipping them to be part of a live event um, and then with follow-up Bible study type materials that it would be the kind of uh, seed to, to get started, even if you don't have a budget for one or if you've never done it before, you have an easy way to try. So you gather in January, you scatter in June, and in the middle of that is our efforts on campus ministry in the wells and, uh, and empowering uh, people to see the value of campus ministry in our church body. Uh, that sounds like a really great idea and definitely reaching a generation that in a lot of churches, unfortunately, is overlooked. So it's great to see that we're making progress, doing something about it and trying to you know, encourage and, and inspire those people. Yeah, that's exactly that's exactly the focus. Yeah. Yeah. And in hearing you talk about that and in past conversations I've had with you, your your passion for connecting with people just really shines through. So the first question I had for you was as a as a worship leader and as an artist, the arts within worship are about connecting with people. So what are some of the things that you take into consideration as you try to connect with people through worship? I, I like to say that, particularly in a worship setting, so we're talking about, um, it may be a, a church that usually does traditional worship, but is what wants to do something different. It might be a special service, kind of an event. It may be a, a seasonal, you know, whether it's winter, Christmas. And whether it's there or in a concert setting, I like to try to get a sense for where the, where the culture of the room is at, if you will. I will start out by by introducing myself, and there's a number of times where I'll I'll ask a couple of very simple questions, like "Do you like to sing?" <laughs> and you know the the way that people respond to that uh, tells me a lot about how I can best lead, if you will. If I see people are timid and are are not used to having somebody from the the front in particular engage them, I I realize that certain stories that I may tell to tell a little bit differently or my interaction and my leading is going to be different. If they're quieter, I will, I will understand that I have a different servant, servant heart that I have to have. If they respond to that, I know that I have to be myself a little bit more. And uh, from the standpoint of I'm descriptive, I like talking about the things that are human and that we share together and helping people step into the courage or the vulnerability of the, the moment in the question or the, or what it is that we're talking about without that vulnerability. It's, it's hard to really open up and hear what people are saying. And, and um, so I try to be very sensitive about that. And that's why I ask questions at the beginning. And some people may feel that it's a little irreligious and not worshipful to do that, but it, it really helps me understand where they're at because I believe that if you're a worship leader, that, that part of the responsibility, particularly in a space where you're doing a blended or a contemporary service and you have part of the responsibility to connect with your congregation is to under the lead, leadership and the guidance of the Holy spirit is to build an us. You know, you have all of these different people coming in and some of them are having great days and some of them just barely got out the house on time and in the car and, Somebody lost somebody, somebody 
had a baby and they're excited and family's here. You know, everybody's coming from all of these different places. And so under the, the guidance of the Holy Spirit, under the direction of working with the pastor, to be able to help us see Jesus clearly. And I believe very strongly in this idea of communication being that if I have an idea that I want to present to you and you to receive the information exactly the way that I'm seeing it, that things like your body language and the words you use are important, but how you say them, how you engage with people, the space that you give them to think about what you just said, or all of those little nuances are really important. And so I try to be sensitive to build an us, to take all the all the individual cultures and bring it into the culture of the church and the story of Jesus' faithfulness that we're trying to, to share with people. Yeah, that's definitely a great concept, great idea there. As you were talking, I thought of a, another question here. One of the things that I had a friend tell me once when leading worship, when, when giving a message, is you have to think of who you're reaching. And he likes to actually picture this fictitious person in his mind and say, if I want to make sure I can reach everyone who's in my crowd right now, I don't know who's all there. I don't know what their backstories are, uh, but I want to be able to reach everybody. So he pictures one specific person and gives them a backstory and says, if I can reach this person, then I should be able to reach everybody with that message. Do you think that translates the same way to uh, what you're doing with the music as well? Yeah, I, I think it can, you know, kind of along those lines of, that uh, I don't see. I have a I have a bit of a, a television background, but more so a lot of radio. And so if I'm going to reach people, for example, in, a, in their car on the radio, if I'm telling a, a weather story, for example, I have to think about what's common uh, among all of those people. In fact, one of the training ideas that I have for our staff is that when you go outside and you know, Tim, you're up in the great white north now. So <laughs> true. You know, when you walk outside and you open that door and, and the December air hits you, you have an opinion about it. <laughs> you have a reaction. Very and much. It's important to note what that reaction is because as a meteorologist, there's a really good chance that a lot of your audience had the same reaction. And probably it, it elicited a number of different questions. And so you're you're right. Now all of a sudden you step into this fictitious person who actually isn't all that dissimilar to you and you start answering their questions. So in a similar way, when I look at a congregation, I see, particularly if you're a pastor or if, if you have an opportunity to lead from the front, you see all of these individuals. But in the room, we have a goal on the theme of the day and and ultimately to be able to help people see Jesus more clearly. If if we can communicate so well that it's almost as if Jesus is standing in time and space talking to people and they come out and don't talk about the artist or the music the musician or the pastor, but they talk about God's word, that it landed, that's awesome. And so a lot of times I'll talk about the room. You get a culture of the room. And you can feel where that culture is. That's kind of the same idea with respect to picturing a person, you know, taking all of these hundred or 200 or 300 people and they start to become a person and you just talk to that person. It's a hard concept. A lot of my students struggle with that for a while, but I think it's something that, that, um, yes, there's many, but there's one. And I love that the, that the church is like that every Sunday. And even in concert settings, it's, 
it's very much the same thing. Sure. And that made me think, because you mentioned you're a traveling musician, and a lot of times you may lead worship in other churches. And I feel like it wouldn't be as easy to get to know the culture of that room when you first walk in. You may have it when you're at your home church and you're leading worship on a regular basis. You have a lot of the same people that step through those doors. Mm -hmm. So what sort of things do you have to take into consideration as you are walking into a new place, maybe for the first time, maybe for the second or third time? Yeah, so if I'm coming in, the people who are there early, the ushers, the greeters, the the people who are excited to to call church home, kind of get a chance to, as you shake people's hands and and ask them briefly a little bit about their day or about their life. Uh, These are the culture creators for that day. These are the people who are going to set a tone for that day. I try to get to know the pastor um, uh, when I'm working with them. Uh, What are they passionate about? Whenever I do do concerts in particular. I love if we've got the time to ask the pastor when when they are when they find themselves praying for their church, what's one of the things that they just keep seeming to come back to over and over again? What's on their heart for the members of their congregation? And then when they drive around their neighborhood, what breaks their heart? What just hurts when they drive around? And I've found those to be very um, it's very helpful to ask the pastors or the, the, the congregational leaders of that church that question. Because it really gets to, for me as a guest, because I'm only there for a little, you know, for that one day or, or maybe once a year or once every other year. I'm only there for a little bit. It gives me a chance to say, how can I best serve, you know, in this moment to help bring some clarity or maybe another way to answer that prayer briefly in, in a moment, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so the people who are there are, is really important. And then if you've ever seen me in, in a concert or even in worship, when I'm a guest and they introduce me, a lot of times I'll ask that question of, you know, how many of you like to sing? And I'll have them all raise their hand and I'll say, thank you. This is the choir. Look around. This is the <laughs> choir. <laughs> and depending on how people respond to that, I will take it a, a step further because I'll say, look, here's why. I'm, I'm a big why person. If you're going to ask somebody a question, be uh, direct, but answer the why question. Why did you just ask us to do that? Well, because if you like to sing, I want to encourage you to sing loud, because this may be a song you've never sung before. But I know that if you'll sing loud and be willing to make loud mistakes, what Lutherans forget is that they can learn how to sing very, very quickly and without notes. I promise you, you don't need music every time. <laughs> They'll just get over the fear of learning a new song, and those people sing loud, the people who kind of like half raised their hand will sing out loud. And then the people who need it to be loud enough so that they can make a joyful noise will be able to do so. To remind them that, you know, it's, it's okay. Um, because seriously, there was an older gentleman, I was in Michigan, who, who um, came up after the, the worship service and said, Mike, you know, when, when you said that we could all sing, my, my wife nudged me in the ribs and said, he wasn't talking to you. <laughs> and how people react to that tells me where they're at. Are they comfortable enough to have a have somebody lead like that? Because that's actually a very honest confession about how comfortable they feel about me being there mm-hmm. and about thinking something that's doing something that's not in their normal language. Uh, talk about worship language a lot, but um, it, it it tells me how I can respond and how sensitive I need to be to lead. And uh, if, the, if the culture kind of gets it and you see smiles, um, I know that I have 
permission to share and to kind of teach things in, in a certain way. If they don't, it tells me that I, I need to be a bit more guarded and um, a little bit more conservative with how I might describe things because they're not going to hear it. Those are some ways that I, I try to you know get to know the people at first, and then when you get to know the room, those kind of interactions early on in the worship service then allow us to go. And then, by the way, for all everybody who's wondering, boy, this is not a very worshipful person, I will re- usually remind what Lutheran worship is. Whether it's liturgical or non-liturgical, it's still God coming to us and his people respond to him and one another about him. That's what worship is, and that's what we're going to do today. So we try to help them understand the why. That's great. I like that. I hate to cut this short, but we're running out of time here. But this does give us a great opportunity to talk about, if you want to hear more from Mike on this sort of topic, he is going to be one of our breakout session leaders at Hearts and Hands 2019 at St. Croix in West St. Paul. That's happening on June 18th through 20th, and we're excited to have him be with us there. If you want to learn more about Mike's ministry, you can check him out at mikewestendorf.com. And at the same time, the Awaken Alive website is awakealive.com. Remember, there's a two-day conference January 4th and 5th, 2019, at the Best Western, right across from the Milwaukee Airport. So if you're in the area, definitely make plans to go there. Even if you're not in the area, you can still make plans. Registration is live until the day of the event. And there's a national live stream event on June 9th. Thanks again, Mike, for coming on the show, and we look forward to talking to you again real soon. That sounds great, guys. Keep up the the great work. Thanks for the opportunity. Thanks, Mike. Well, that about wraps it up for the third episode of the podcast. Thanks for being here with us. And be sure to check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash heartsandhandspodcast. Thanks for the support. 